Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club, and this is your show. How are you feeling then? The countdown is on to the first ever Manchester Derby FA Cup final and after a couple of weeks of matches not really mattering anymore, the pressure is back on. It's almost 12 years since City have faced United at Wembley and this will be only the third time it's ever happened. So how are the nerves holding up? Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast where we're either going to be ramping up the hype ahead of the first huge final of the season or we're going to be trying to calm you down and take your mind off it. We'll let you decide which one of those you'd like it to be. Also on today's show with the Premier League season now over and City confirmed as champions for the third time in succession, it's time to open the bad take amnesty. All of our daft things that we've thought throughout the season go on display and we can promise absolutely no judgement whatsoever. We're all friends here. Speaking of which, I'm David Mooney and joining me for this week's show are two City fans. Joe Butterfield. Hi, how's it going? Not too bad, thanks Joe. And Jordan Elgott. Hello mate, thanks for having me. No problem at all. Welcome uh, welcome to the show. So, um, it's uh, it's the Manchester derby at Wembley to come off the back of a week that, well, off the back of a few weeks that hasn't really mattered. Um, Jordan, what's it like to have games that mean something again? Yeah, it was a bit of a strange week really, wasn't it, with the uh, Brighton and uh, Brentford games not meaning anything and also the Chelsea one as well. I do find myself in a bit of a weird situation when those games happen though, although they don't happen too frequently because even though the the most important thing for us over the last week has been getting through without any major injuries i still got this desire like we need to win, win i'm never happy you, yeah. with uh, yeah, yeah and that's what we used to as well so it all of a sudden feels very strange to have these games which have effectively been like a pre-season um to the start of the season where we're gonna have two absolutely huge games um it's been a welcome break because i did have a bit of football fatigue but hopefully now we're in the best possible position because of the three games that didn't mean anything to go and win the treble yeah joe it kind of it kind of reminds you doesn't it what kind of what we're in this for because as much as yeah it was great celebrating the title win against chelsea and then the brighton game we we went into it with a fairly strong team so we're going into it thinking well this this might be a good game and then on the last day of the season i just like with the greatest will in the world i just didn't really care i like i couldn't get myself up for it and then all of a sudden you're thinking well okay now we've got a now we've got two finals to play for. This is this is this is what we want to feel out of football, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think when the um you know, when the actual game came around when the Chelsea game came around, it was like, well, this this game kind of I could feel like that meant something because it was the it was the game where we were lifting the trophy and you kind of want to like Jordan says, you want to win that. Like that's something that you just want to inherently win. But Brighton, I was away with work and wasn't really too bothered about trying to find somewhere to watch it. So I didn't and just kind of wasn't fussed. Uh, Brentford, it wasn't on Sky and I wasn't really bothered enough to sort of find a find a stream for it. I've kind of used these two games as a bit of time to just sort of, like you say, the football fatigue was very real during that time. Um, and having games that don't really mean anything at the end of a season like this are kind of a bit of... They can be a bit like, well, what's almost a bit like, what's the point? Like, obviously, I still caught up the highlights. I still kept up with, you know, people watching it and things like that. But like you say, the the games that are coming, like these next two games, like they're just like, 
yeah, it's it's the level of game that everybody sort of everybody dreams of these two games, like having a treble on the line with a, an FA Cup and a, and a Champions League final. It's like it's 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 above anything that we've really experienced yeah. up to this point, even with how things have been, with, even with how mad things have been in the last sort of 10, 12 years. This is this is still somehow like another level, another notch above that. Yeah, and I mean, even with the, the the last couple of games, so even the Brentford game, for instance, Guardiola had issues with that, didn't he, Jordan? He, like, he couldn't win. Where If he went strong, then we'd all be going, oh, the players will get tired and injured. They they, 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 they won't be ready for the finals. And then if he, he made changes and we're, we're now sitting here going, well, they're all going to be out of rhythm and they're not going to have the, <laughs> the, the right pace for the game. So, I mean, ultimately, um just doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, I think he was damned if he did and damned if he didn't with the three games as well. We've not been aided by the fact that Contrary to popular belief, we don't have a very big squad. Yes, we've got a lot of quality in a lot of positions, in, in every position, obviously not counting a left-back because we don't play with them anymore. But a yeah, I, I think... A, a what? what? I know, I've yeah. never even heard of it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was tough for Guardiola. Again, not helped by the fact that all of a sudden a few players said that they had niggles. Um, so all of a sudden we were found ourselves in a position where we were having to play Rodri at centre-back and John Stones against Brighton, which if, if we were being in an ideal situation, neither of those players would have played. So it, it was a tough one for Guardiola, but ultimately it seems like he's managed it well. Yes, we've not won either of the two games since we lifted the trophy, but I wouldn't have traded um, any of the players' fitness for three points in either of those games, that's for sure. So, yeah. as I said earlier, hopefully we're coming into a situation now where we're in the best possible position to really attack these two games. Yeah. So, with all of that in mind, Joe, can you take anything from the performance at Brentford, or is it just one of those games that it's like watching the final preseason friendly? Yeah, that's that's basically exactly what it is. It feels like Guardiola's kind of used it to get to, almost to have like an, a, a preview of the players who have been squad players for for next season, maybe. Like Calvin Phillips in particular stands out as someone who hasn't really had much game time, but has suddenly found himself with two starts since we've won the title. Um, I think, you know, getting players like him and, uh, and Rico Lewis, who I think, you know, it's easy to forget was a pretty crucial member of the squad like three or four months ago. And now he's, you know, just getting these games in at the end of the season. Um, yeah, it, it, it's almost like he's using it as a chance. Because if, if anything goes wrong in, say, the first 15, 20 minutes of one of these finals and one of these players that hasn't really played much because it's effectively been in this crunch time of the season, the same 12, 13 players that have been in the start in 11 pretty much, you know, having having these players who need we, we're relying on to come off the bench and, and change something or to just slot in if someone gets like an unfortunate injury at the beginning of one of these games, having these players sort of up to speed and match fit rather than just coming off the back of having barely kicked a ball other than the last 15, 20 minutes of games for, for the last couple of months. I think um, I think it's really, you know, beneficial. I, I You know, if, if Rodri, well, I'm not, I'm not going to say it, but if something happens with... Bad, I, I was going to say this, because like, I, I, what situation requires Calvin Phillips to come off the bench in one of these games early on? Because cause, uh, like, well, what I was thinking was, like, if Rodri got injured, then that might happen. If but then Rodri gets injured... He'd probably Rodri put gets stones injured. there, yeah, wouldn't he? Yeah. gets injured. Yeah, <laughs> there's like four players that would have to get injured before Phillips comes on. But I think, again, this is kind of looking to next season. I think it, it, it maybe gives Guardiola a chance to almost 
almost pre pre season it because I think we all know. I think we'll we'll get onto you know some transfer rumors that are going on with City at, at the moment. But I think there's a lot to be said about Calvin Phillips's future at the moment. And these kind of games are giving Guardiola a chance to look at players like him, players like Cole Palmer, and sort of evaluate whether their players worth hanging around the squad or players that we can maybe look at look at shifting on. But it, ultimately, the performance at Brentford. As, as kind of the same with the performance at Chelsea as well. I mean, we beat Chelsea because Chelsea are hilariously terrible. But at the same time, like if we lose to a team like Brentford, it's not the end of the world. It's not really a damning reflection on the players that we put out there. It's just a squad of players that haven't really played together in that combination much this season at all. It just happened to have not won against a very good team. So yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be looking at it with United on the horizon thinking, oh God, we're coming off the back of a defeat. I don't think it'll have any effect on the players that'll be out there at all. Yeah, and in fairness, I don't think many people are thinking that way either. It's just one of those, like we all see it in the same way. Um, Jordan, I think you used this word before. Um, I, I think it was you that mentioned the treble. Uh, we'll know on Saturday night if it's on. Uh, does that scare you? Um. Everything scares me, David, to be honest, <laughs> when it comes to City. Honestly, we, we could be playing um, St. Monica's under-12s in the final and I'd find a way that their <laughs> number nine could score against us. That's just the sort of fan that I am, unfortunately. And, I, you know, I've not even been there through the horrendous times. My first season ticket was um, just sort of the year before we got decent when we scored 10 goals at home all season. But, yeah, still I, uh, still I, I find ways to be pessimistic. But I, I have been thinking over the last few days and just trying to put it in perspective. And I, like uh, a lot of City fans, grew up in Manchester getting teased about being a Man City fan. And if you'd have offered me a situation where 15, 20 years later, we would be in a position not only to be challenging Man United in the FA Cup final and Inter Milan in the Champions League final, but to be going into those matches as overwhelming favourites, I would have been over the moon. I wouldn't have believed you and it, it would have been a dream come true. So as much as it scares me, I don't think it's... I think a lot of it as well is to do with the expectation and the narrative around City that we have to win these games. And if we don't, we're, we're bottlers and Guardiola's legacy won't be cemented at City and we'll never be considered a great team. That's the sort of stuff that, that gets to me a little bit as much as it shouldn't. Well, what I'll, say, what I'll is, say to that is, like, don't, don't let that get to you because ultimately... If if the argument is that if City don't win the Champions League and FA Cup this season, then they're not a great team. The argument can't also be at the same time that City's dominance is too bad for football. Like it's not it's like it's, those two are surely two positions that are completely opposite to each other, and yet you're you, uh, you like, underestimate you underestimate the power of the average football fan, David. But that's, fair, that's fair enough. Fair enough. But <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just seeing narratives all over the place. Where like like a fortnight ago we were talking about uh, City's. What is it? Five titles in six seasons now, and people were saying, mm. or you were seeing people say, "This it's just too much." How, you know, how can you ever stop City? And then you know, you listen to us three here. If they lose the next two finals, they're bottle jobs. It's like it's it's like it doesn't add up, does it? Yeah. To be clear, I wasn't saying that they would be bottle jobs, but no, I just I know, think that's I know, what the narrative would be. But I, I, I totally agree with you. And Joe said you underestimate the power of the uh, of the average football fan. I think you underest underestimate the sort of mainstream media covering City or a good portion of it because that will be the narrative. However, I agree with you, it shouldn't affect me. And I have been thinking over the last week or so, just enjoy it. This is a position that every football fan would kill to be in. It is such a privileged position. We are in the middle 
of the very, very best time to be a City fan, the very, very best time to be a football fan in our lives. So if I can't enjoy an FA Cup final and a Champions League final, then what can I enjoy in football? So yeah, it, it scares me a little bit because of the reaction and, you know, I work in sport and work in football, so it's unavoidable for me. But um really looking forward to it and I know how privileged we are to be in this position on the reaction side of things I think um I think the fact that like you say because we've won five out of six Premier Leagues the Premier League side of thing is becoming a bit like oh well City obviously going to win that now so I feel like I feel like that in a way as much as we know and as much as in you know 15 20 years time people will look back on this team that's won however many leagues in however many years and 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 acknowledge how great it is i feel like in the immediate aftermath of if we were to lose one if not two of these finals i think i think a large part of it would become like this is still like especially if it's a champions league a large part of the narrative around city would become they failed at the final hurdle sort of thing i think mm. especially with the pep champions league thing i feel like because everyone just sort of goes well they've kind of they've kind of completed english football now like they've done everything like they've won everything they've had the they've, they've won a domestic quadruple they've won back to back to back premier leagues if they don't do the champions league and as much as we can all sit here and acknowledge how kind of stupid that is like the, the, the overwhelming narrative will be it will no longer be how great this season's been for city and how they've brought it back over arsenal and stuff like that the the narrative will become oh, Pep and City have failed in Europe again. They'll probably never win it sort of thing. Um, so, for, for and obviously this isn't about the Champions League, this particular this particular pod, but it's for that reason alone that I just really want us to just stamp that out and just get it over and done with because that will be, the, as much as it shouldn't be, that, that sadly will be the narrative if it doesn't happen. Yeah, Jordan, can I can I uh, put one thing to you though in, in that case? I, I may argue that football isn't there to be enjoyed during it. I, th- I think you kind of have to suffer through it in order to get the enjoyment at the end. Is that is, is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm trying to make myself feel a bit better. <laughs> and look, I, 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 I'll be so nervous. I, I'm going out to Istanbul and, as Joe said, um, just desperate for us to win the Champions League. And the, the language that he used stood out to me. And he said, get it over with. And... And that's how I feel as well. But it's mad that we feel like that because this is the creme de la creme. This this is like, we are the best we will ever be. And we're thinking of it like that. And it's wrong that we should feel like that. But I think that ties into how the point that you've just made, David. It, yeah. Football is a lot of suffering and uh, you get to enjoy it after. And then a new season starts and everyone forgets about it. But yeah. <laughs> that's just exactly that. Yeah. Uh, Joe, uh, just on the treble talk as well, um, how much of that will be motivating United for, for Saturday? Or, or is that more of a fan thing, given that, I mean, none of the players that are at United were, were there 20 years ago. So it's like, it's it, it's kind of, it, it's a previous generation thing. Yeah, I was having a bit of, um, I was having a, this chat with one of my mates um, a few days ago, funnily enough, when it when you know the Premier League was over and that, and and he sort of got a bit bullish about the idea of the, the final and stuff and how United will be dead motivated to win it. And I was just thinking, what what's what's Cas- what, what's Casemiro's tie to the '99 team? Like he doesn't have one. Like half the United squad probably wasn't even born when that team when that team won the title. Um, won the treble, sorry. I feel like it's a bit of a, don't get me wrong, but I, I, because of the rivalry and just because of the fact it's City v United, like if you're a professional footballer and can't get yourself up for that game at Wembley, then quite frankly, you shouldn't be on the pitch. But I don't feel like United's primary motivation will be our, like, our legacy as a club is on the line here because I don't really think that 
I could be completely wrong here, and you know, they'll, I'm sure they'll get Fergie in to do like a team talk before. Just the, thinking the, that, I mean, yeah. Fingers, cro- fingers, fingers crossed, he does given his track record. But like, I think, um, <laughs> I think the, you know, I think they'll they'll do that. They'll evoke a lot of that, and maybe you know, maybe it does work on a few of the players. I'm sure the likes of Rashford, who's obviously you know a, a United boy through and through, he'll he'll have that on his mind, but. I don't think the average Manchester United player is really going to be thinking about the treble. They might they might want to stop City doing the treble in the same way that any club wants to sort of be the team that spoils the party and they want to stop their local rivals from doing it. But I don't think it's I don't think that'll come from a place of we have to defend United's legacy. I think that will just be a case of this this is our these are our local rivals and these are also currently the best team in the country. It's at Wembley, it's a local derby, like we have to win this sort of thing. Yeah, we can bloody the nose sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan, let's let's talk a bit about Guardiola and United because um, I'm wondering if do you think Guardiola has a bit of a United problem? His record with City against them, he's played 18, won nine, drawn two, lost seven. Now, one nine seems a bit low. Lost seven seems very high given the quality of the two teams that they've uh, that they faced down the years. Yeah, it does, but I don't think Guardiola has an anyone problem. To be honest, not even a Spurs away problem. It's not his fault we can't stick it in the back of the net there. Um, hmm. I, I think that there's mitigating circumstances for a few of those defeats. I mean, first of all, the one that's just been uh, still makes me sick because that's, you know, I'm, I'm far from someone to complain about referees regularly, but that is the biggest robbery I have seen influenced by officiating in a, in a very long time in a City game where Rashford was clearly offside and and Fernandez stuck it in. Interesting. I've still not heard the VAR audio for that one, but um, <laughs> that, for, for me, that's a that's a clear mitigating circumstance because we're on our way to a comfortable one 0 win there. Uh, the other ones have been where uh, we've already won the title, although the uh, the one where we could have won it at the Etihad against them and we're two 0 up still makes me feel a bit queasy. Still um, smarts that one, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, but it was in between the Liverpool Champions League games as well. And Aguero didn't start. There was some horrendous refereeing in that one by Martin Atkinson because um, Ashley Young should have given away a penalty and been sent off for a foul on Aguero. So, again, that's another mitigating factor. And and also, derbies are a bit like that. They, defeats can come from anywhere. I still remember when we beat them at Old Trafford on the anniversary of the Munich air disaster and mm. everything just said we should have lost that game. You know, similar to how we lost um, against Liverpool on the anniversary of Hillsborough when Coutinho scored, when we eventually won the title that season. Um, it just felt like that was a game we should we should lose and somehow Darius Vassell and Benjani managed to score against a defence of Van der Sar, Neville, Vidic, Ferdinand and Evra. So... Football's like that. Derbies are like that sometimes. But just going back to what you said as well about um, United wanting to stop the treble, I think that puts a hell of a lot of pressure on them. And I think when you're up against a team as good as City, you don't need added pressure on you. I don't think Fred, as, as Joe said, Fred, for example, or or Ericsson will be running around as Rodri passes it around them for the billionth time going oh let's do it for Nicky Butt and Keno like they just don't care like that it's, it's not it's not how it works um so I, I'm I'm pretty pretty confident in Pep I'm pretty confident in the team um anything can happen in a game of football but if we go there and play our best then uh, I don't think we'll have any problems 
Yeah. Joe, I was going to mention some other mitigating factors in those derbies as well, because uh, three of the seven defeats were in that 2019-20 uh, season where Liverpool ran away with the league and, and City clearly had a lot of problems. Um, two of them were, were when City were practically champions, as, as Jordan mentioned, the 17-18, uh, the uh, where, they, where they came back at the Etihad. 2021, uh, where they where City gave away a penalty in the first 90 seconds or whatever. Um and then the other one that uh, that hasn't been mentioned was the League Cup in, in Guardiola's first season where he rotated the team. Mm. Does all of that mitigation kind of give him a break? Or is there is there an issue between Guardiola thinking, maybe maybe thinking United are better than they are? I don't know. Uh, it, yeah, it kind, of, it kind of feels like he has approached, because I think he's always spoken like very, um, with a lot of reverence to, you know, clubs like Manchester United, like AC Milan, obviously he's, got the whole Barcelona Real Madrid thing going on that you, you know they, he he does respect the um the quote unquote football heritage of um of these kind of clubs um and maybe that kind of leads him to go into these games sort of thinking that they are the the great teams of old and stuff like that but also on the other hand I do think I I, I know that Jordan said that Guardiola doesn't really have an anybody problem but I definitely think he had an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer problem like I think that that the like Solskjaer knew and it's, and it's and it's crazy to say this about someone who was like we 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 all laughed at quite a lot at his time at United, but for whatever reason, his tactic of that you know sitting back and just kind of soaking up possession whilst we <laughs> whilst we were incredibly incapable of scoring goals somehow every single time, and then all it took was for Rashford to go up the other end and just like poke one in for a one on one. Just we we saw it so many times, and I feel like obviously you know United have probably evolved a little bit from that now obviously they, they try to play in a style that's much more similar to us and we've seen that through a lot of the season um but I, I yeah I kind of feel like it's just that United certainly used to for a, for a good few years while especially whilst you know while Solskjaer was there played a specific style of football that is it's really it's the kind of it's the kind of style of football that we usually see us drop points to like it's it's, it's the kind of style where the, the team is just going to sit back pray that we have an off day up front and then just counter us. And for whatever reason, we had a lot of bad days up front against Manchester United while Solskjaer was there. And I, th- and I feel like that's kind of all it's really come down to. Um, based on the performances we put in against Manchester United this season, um, and bearing in mind that the um, you know the one with the insane decision at Old Trafford earlier this season, I was listening to a, um, um, to, I listened to a podcast earlier today where they mentioned that actually that 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 result came pre you know, pre this John Stones hybrid centre-back, centre-midfield kind of thing, which has now been the reason why we've obviously gone and had such a brilliant end to the season. So it'll be interesting to see how, if Manchester United can deal with that. So I'm kind of, yeah, basically we've played our best football since the time that United did defeat us. And obviously the defeat itself, as Jordan's mentioned, had like the horrendous mitigation of that, that just insane goal that I don't think I'll ever see repeated again. Um, in the Premier League, and yeah, I, I, it, it's just we should we should on paper, and it's and it's really jinxy to say this, but we should on paper we should be going into this feeling very confident, and um, yeah, whether there's been some kind of issues with United in the past, I don't think they've really been there this season since Ten Hag's taken over. Yeah, well, uh, you jinx away, my friend, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. 
statcity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Jordan, the, that, that old tactic, United basically conceding possession and then have a lot of good players who can hit City on the break. Is that still relevant if Anthony's injured and Martial's injured? Is this all playing into City's hands? Um, well, you said you jinx away, so I'm going to be wary of, of saying yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think you can look at it a couple of ways. Martial, for me, seems to have only had good games against City since his breakout season. Um, so I was quite relieved to see Martial as uh, as injured. It means that Rashford is likely to play down the middle and it might actually benefit United in that it gives Ten Hag an excuse to play Fernandez on the left and play a midfield three of Fred Casemiro and Eriksen and just sit back. So I think you can look at it like that or you could look at it as Rashford is going to be their sole outlet. It means that if Pep wants to, there's not as much of a uh, onus or um, temptation to play Kyle Walker because that is a bit of a debate which we'll come on to, I'm sure, um, as to what we do with Akanji and Ake if Ake's fully fit. So I'm not really sure how it, whose hands it plays into more and who it benefits more, but ultimately we're going into the game with a fully fit squad basically and, and they're not. I don't think it really changes their tactics too drastically, but it just means that Rashford is is going to be through the middle rather than on the wing. And I think I would prefer that to be the case, personally. Yeah. Well, looking at, uh, at Guardiola at Wembley as well, Joe. Um, so his overall record at Wembley, uh, this is including games where he was uh, manager away from City, is uh, played 17, won 12, lost 5. So if he has a bit of an issue with United, he certainly doesn't at Wembley. Because in those five losses, uh, they include uh, Liverpool and Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-finals, where he, he rotated the teams. Uh, also a much rotated side for the Leicester Community Shield in uh, in 2021. And then the other two are, are um, uh, Arsenal, FA Cup semi-finals uh, 2020 when things weren't quite right anyway with the team and then in that first season which took extra time for uh, for Arsenal to go on and beat them so at, at Wembley Guardiola was pretty good yeah it's I'm, I'm it's kind of like the um, the cup finals thing with Guardiola isn't it it's just he's got just a generally very good record in finals full stop um, I think he's only lost was it only the Champions League final that he's lost I think he's won against Chelsea. I think he's won every other cup final that he's been in. That's just off the top of my head. I could be completely wrong. But um, yeah, it, it's, you know, it feels like when it comes to these crunch games, as much as a lot, as much as a, certainly in the past, we've had a lot of games where we've looked at the squad that Pep Guardiola's put out there and thought, oh God, there's something really weird here when it comes to a big game. You know, at the, a large majority of the time it seems to work. And I think we're at the point where certainly with the team that we've got now and with the results that we've seen over the last, like, you know, the last... 15 or so games I think we're at a point obviously you know excluding the ones we've won since that we've had since the title win I feel like um we've got a pretty settled team that we should 
be seeing we should really be seeing start both in, in for the most part surely about nine or ten of the starting 11 should be basically identical for the two games we've got coming up um but yeah it's when it gets to this crunch point where it's you know semi-finals and finals he just knows how to get over the line particularly in finals and again i've got him I'm, I'm doing so much jinx in here in this podcast but yeah i'm just saying there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to feel confident because of that um yeah, I would I would be shocked if we see you know a really wild start in eleven. But I think that that record at Wembley usually comes down to the fact that we we go into it a lot of the time favourites, and obviously you can always you can always have a Wigan moment, but usually the, the team that is that you know the team that is on is the favourite will be the one that comes out on top. Yeah, well, let's look at uh, possible selections to finish the first part of the show, Jordan. Um, you, you've talked about Kyle Walker before. Let's let's get into the uh, into the Ake situation. I uh, played for uh, just over an hour against Brentford. Not entirely sure how much of that was through necessity or or the fact that that City wanted him on the pitch. Um, would you like him back in, or would you would you be perfectly happy with a Kanji at left back? And I mean, I, how that affects the rest of the defense, I'm not I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's been made more of a dilemma by how good Kyle Walker was against Vinicius um, against Real Madrid, because for me, our best. Starting eleven contains the four centre backs as the defenders. You know, Akanji on the right or Stones, whoever it is, um, one of those two, and Diaz and Ake on the left. So, I think I'm leaning more towards now that we know Martial's injured, and I don't think he's starting Vegas, so it's likely Rashford will be through the middle. I think, as I said, it it takes away the pressure to play Walker, and if Ake is fully fit, and I think Guardiola gave him 60 just to give him the minutes because he wants him ready for the next two games. My preferred choice will be Akanji, Stones, Diaz and Ake. Yeah. Uh, a bit further forward, Joe, um, De Bruyne and Haaland were, were both rested for um, for Brentford. Hopefully just tired, but obviously, I mean, when, when De Bruyne has, uh, has had niggles in the past, it's not necessarily been the quickest one to come back. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that those two in particular was just literally because of the number of games that they've that they've played. I mean, they did they did get the odd one or two out during that 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 sort of run that took us to the title win and you know the the Champions League games as well. They have had the odd one or two games where they've been um, they've been dropped, but I'm hoping that this last couple of weeks has more to just been to let them their bodies reset from this from this incredible sort of number of games they've had to play back to back to back. I mean, I know Haaland in particular is someone who the club really really closely keep an eye on in terms of like his fitness and stuff like that i think the regime yeah. that they've got him under is is mad so i think yeah certainly with those two in particular they're they're the kind of ones who you want to keep wrapped in cotton wool right up until the point where you know you definitely need them and yeah the last couple of weeks has been cotton wool time so hopefully this is the point where we can have them very much you know fully fit and ready to go yeah, got to get the colour back out of De Bruyne's face, haven't you? Just to, uh, just, <laughs> just, just, yeah, cool him down. Um, any worries, Jordan, about Haaland and and his? Uh, I was going to say his recent form. The man's broken Premier League records left, right, and centre. But you know what I mean? He's he missed a few chances in the in the last couple of games. Um, well, I might have said yes actually if we were doing this podcast yesterday. Um, but get ready for a big name drop because for oh, our right. podcast at work, we actually spoke to Haaland yesterday. Um. And it was done by Dan Rowan, the BBC Sport editor. And he asked Harland about his mentality and how not scoring goals affects him. And what Harland said was, I don't think of it as a goal drought. I think of it as 
the next game, I'm just more likely to score because how long am I actually going to go on a goal drought for? And that that reassured me really because oh, I, I like was that. thinking he's missed mm. he's missed quite a few chances um, over the last few games. He's, uh, his last goal was against Everton, wasn't it? And yeah. uh, we've played a few since mm. then. And you just think the the longer it goes on, the more he snatches at chances, and it you know any normal human being would would suffer in confidence, but he's not a normal human being, and his mentality is definitely that. It's uh, and it's true, isn't it? Like, is Haaland going to go on a six, seven game goal drought? I don't think so. I can't see that being the no. case. I wouldn't put money on it. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about him. He scored 52 goals in all competitions this this season, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's saving his best bit of form for the for the two games of the season, which could cement our place in football in history. Yeah, sorry, I'm just googling hat tricks in uh, FA Cup finals just to just to see if it, yeah, who's done it before. <laughs> Do you think the fact that obviously he broke the goal scoring record then kind of because it's it was that game against was it the game against Everton where he broke it where he got the actual official record and he's not. Scored? No, uh, he has scored since. Then, no, it? I think it was against West Ham where he uh, scored his thirty-fifth goal. Of the that's season. the one. Yeah, but he's, but it feels like since then he's not really. Does, do you think mentally maybe he's sort of the pressure's off because he hasn't got that thing to chase anymore? So he's kind of just been not really as on it as a result. I, I don't know. Yeah, it seems weird coasting, to say that about been coasting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It seems it seems weird to say that about Harland, who obviously doesn't strike me as someone who has that mentality. But I feel like in the cups in particular, where that isn't really a factor like you've got a trophy on the line if you score goals like I feel like that will if, if that can't be what sort of fires him up obviously at Haaland we, we saw in the beginning of the season he scored a hat-trick against United didn't he so I'm really hoping he does something like that again but um yeah I'm thinking maybe the sort of the last the last few weeks of form from him has maybe just been because it feels a bit like job done with the title with the title wrapped up and with the, the you know the Premier League record secured it feels like maybe from his point of view it's been a bit like well I've done that for this season now. Now that, it's sort of all focus on the FA Cup and Champions League, maybe. That, that'd be nice, but I, I don't think it's the case. Um, I think it's a mixture of other things, really. Um, he should have scored against Real, but as much yeah. as he should have scored the first chance, I think the second one, the save from Courtois, was one of the saves of the season. Ridiculous. One of the best saves yeah. I've ever seen live. Um so, you know, if, if it was anyone else in net, mind you, De Gea is probably capable of a save like that. But if it any standard keeper, that, that would have been a goal and we won't, probably wouldn't be discussing yeah. it because he'd have contributed to another big European win. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think it's really phasing him because let's remember as well, he played against Brighton and if he was snatching at chances and worried about scoring goals, um, he would have shot when he went clean through. But he took his time, laid it off to Foden, no dramas. So yeah, yeah. I honestly think yeah. he's chilled out. I really do think he's a team player. And yeah. I've got no doubt that, again, from, from having listened to him yesterday, um, I just don't think it phases him like it does any other I think, normal human I think being. that's a big factor as well, isn't it? That ultimately he's been playing really well. Like off every, Everything he does like outside of scoring a goal, everything he does is still really good. So it's not it's not like he's been genuinely like off the boil like a, a such a poor player for a while he just hasn't scored for a few games and that's all it really comes down to isn't it so yeah. i think yeah, yeah and he still he still contributes with the ball as well um his his all-round play is excellent it's it's certainly not it's certainly not the case that if he doesn't score then what's the point in having him because yeah that was the narrative earlier in the season but i actually think his best all-round display for city was the four one against Arsenal, and he missed a, a shed load of chances in that, and eventually got his yeah. goal when he let his 
uh, man gone down. But um, yeah, he he was brilliant with the ball at his feet that day. And yeah, I just, I just think as well, we've, we've got other goal scoring options. There's not that much pressure on him to, to back. We, there's, like, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, is it, that we win the next two games and Haaland doesn't score in either of them? Because we've got Kevin no, De Bruyne, we've got Gundogan, Grealish yeah. can chip in. Bernardo scored two against Real Madrid. Like I'm not, I'm just not worried about it because he's still contributing well to our play. Yeah, yeah. Um, three hat tricks in FA Cup finals previously: 1890, 1894, and 1953. So all I'm going to say, we are due one. Uh, can yeah. I just ask, did Raheem Sterling not score one against Watford? It was taken off him, wasn't it? Jesus got the final touch, yeah, <laughs> because it just went over oh. the line. Okay, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he didn't quite get it, but uh, but yeah, I because I, I was I was sitting there thinking that I'm sure Sterling, or the other way around, I'm sure Jesus got it, but Sterling took it or one way or the other. But no, it was um, it was uh, they it, whichever one it was got two. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Sterling that got two, and they just banged it in on the line, didn't it? Yeah. Anyway, Joe, can you name the other two? the other question then Jordan you you mentioned it uh, about the you know the other players that might uh, might be the goal threat um is it two from four basically for for Guardiola to pick around Mares, Bernardo Grealish and Foden Mares, Bernardo Grealish yeah I guess so I mean that th- those are our those are our winger options and I, I think Gundogan even though he didn't start at Old Trafford when we lost in uh, in January I think he's really shown his importance in the closing stages mm. of the season. If it, if it needed underlining, his role in the in the running has been spectacular, and therefore I can't see Bernardo playing centrally unless there is anything more wrong with De Bruyne. So yeah, it's it's uh, a question of whether he wants to stick with the team who have beaten Bayern Munich home and away and Real Madrid. Um, we drew at Bayern, didn't we? Anyway, yeah, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Saw yeah. off Bayern yeah. Munich and, and saw off Real Madrid. So that would be Bernardo and Grealish. I do think that Foden and Mares have been pretty good in the uh, in the running. I thought Mares was excellent against Everton. Uh, got the assist for, for Gundogan's opener and also did score a hat-trick mm. in the FA Cup semi-final against Sheffield United. And I think Phil looks like the old Phil. He looks like he's having fun with it. So yeah. I don't think I'd be... I'm not sure I've got a preference. I think Grealish has to start. I think Grealish definitely should start. And then... So maybe not two from four, just, maybe one from three then in that case. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, David, sorry, sorry to throw the maths everywhere, though. It's, like, it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's all right. It's, it's, it can be difficult to work out the maths sometimes. That's all right. I was better at English. That's why. <laughs> I think if Grealish starts, like, kind of... That kind of rules out Foden, doesn't it, really? Because I haven't really seen much of him on the right this season when he has played. So it kind of, at that point, becomes you're picking between Bernardo and Mares for the other side. That's unless like he doesn't think that he just yeah, hasn't. Yeah, yeah unless he but, just... I don't, no, no, did Foden play on but, the right against them in the 6-3? That's exactly am what I, I was going right to say. He scored a hat-trick yeah. from the right on in the 6-3. So, uh, oh, God. I wouldn't, well, we I wouldn't mind then. it. And I, I, think Phil's, I think Phil's good on the right. I, I, I think he's great anywhere. I, I wouldn't mind... Any combination, really. Oh, that's a lie, because I've just said Grealish has to play. Yeah, any of the three <laughs> on the right, I, I, I'd be content with. I'll tell you what, yeah. it's a fucking good job we're not having to pick this team at weekend. <laughs> the, the state of us three here. Um, final question then, Joe. How important gonna, uh, is Ilkay Gundogan going to be for this game? Oh, it's, if, he, <clears throat> if he continues the same sort of form that we've seen from him in this last month, then 
uh, yeah, he's got he's got a game to, to to almost win on his own at this point. I think he's almost more important in a lot of ways than than De Bruyne has been in the last um in the last month or so. Because as much as De, Bru- De Bruyne is obviously the player that everyone looks towards, and it, in a in a in a massive game, De Bruyne has got a goal in him, like we saw in the Arsenal game, and he's also got you know the assists that we saw against and and goals that we saw against Madrid. Um. Yeah, but Gundogan, Gundogan just has has that as well. I mean, we all remember, we all know the goals that he scored this season, the goals that he scored last season in the Aston Villa game and things like that. Yeah, I think it, he's, you know, if this is going to be his, if these last two games are going to potentially be his swan song as he's, uh, you know, we don't know whether he's going to sign a new deal or not, then, you know, what better way to go out than to smash United in the FA Cup final when you, you know, as your last game in England. Yeah, be uh, be nice to see him lift that trophy again, wouldn't it, Joel? I mean, two more trophy lifts from him before if he uh, if he is to leave would be perfect, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't want him to leave, so it wouldn't be quite perfect. But um, yeah, <laughs> it, he's just been so good in the running, and it's really sort of cemented. Not that it really needed cementing after the Aston Villa um, comeback at the end of last season, but it, it has just clearly shown his importance um, over his seven years at the club. I mean, you, you look back at some of the title wins as well. He was our top scorer in the first of the the most recent three title wins, which is crazy yeah. for a for a number eight. He's, you know, he scored on the final day at Brighton in the uh, in the eighteen nineteen season, didn't he? With that free kick to cement yeah. that title, playing as, as he played as a six for most of that season, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Fernandinho was injured and he was brilliant stepping in because that was a time when we had no Fernandinho replacement. And and yeah, the, the Aston Villa one at the end of last season is if the Aguero moment doesn't exist, that's the greatest moment in Premier League history. And uh, he's just been fantastic for us over the last couple of months. So good. He, he really is an unsung hero of this City team. And the goal against Everton to just take all the pressure and the sting out of that game was vital. And, and basically, I think that win against Everton led to Arsenal's head dropping because I think they lost to Brighton, didn't they, after that? Yeah, so, that evening, yeah. Yeah, he's it, been fantastic and he deserves all the plaudits. And I think in years to come, if he does leave the club, we will put him on a Yaya Torre, maybe even David Silva level of importance to the club and Aguero. Uh, I, don't, I don't see why not. He's maybe not as flat as those players and he came a little bit later when he was surrounded by more top and big names but as I said he has been so important to to us over his seven years at the club and what a bargain eh what was it 16 million in Pep's first signing yeah brilliant Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. 
Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to put your money where your mouth is for uh, for the United game. We remain on £1,015 for the season on the charity bet so far. Uh, we've got two more chances to increase that total between now and the end of the season. We'll be previewing the Champions League final on next week's show, which means we've got just the FA Cup final to predict here. Uh, each of us gets a £10 correct score single from William Hill. The winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They're helping the Trussell Trust fight poverty in Manchester. So, it's United at Wembley. What are we thinking for this one? Jordan, where are you going for this? Going 2-0 City. I think uh, I think we, if we play to our best, we've got no problems. 2-0 City, nice and comfortable. 7-1, to one, £70 if you are right. Um, I'm going a little bit more uncomfortable with uh, a 2-1 City win, which is uh, 15-2 and £75. Uh, that leaves us with Joe. What are you having? Uh, I'm going 3-1. I think, yeah, similarly uncomfortable, but I have a feeling that like a very late third goal will make it slightly less uncomfortable for the uh, for the final five, ten minutes or so. Well, if it goes that way, 11 to 1 and £110 if you are right. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And to get more information on how to gamble responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. Now, just before we move on, since we now know when the end of the season is going to be, we can announce that the Blue Moon Podcast Live is coming back to Manchester for the final show of this current series. We'll be back at Idle Hands Coffee on Dale Street in Manchester, and it's going to be on the evening of Wednesday, the 14th of June. I'll be hosting there with the usual panel of guests, and I'm still trying to nail down an ex-player to join us. I've got a good idea of who it's going to be, but we're just still waiting to check that there's no diary clashes before we announce it. Tickets are £2.50 each, plus a small booking fee. There's only a limited number, and every penny of your £2.50 is going to be donated to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group as well. So come and enjoy the show however the season ends. Details on how to get tickets, they're on our Twitter feed, at Blue Moon Podcast. You can also buy tickets by going to bmp2023.eventbrite.com That's bmp 2023 eventbrite.com Now then, at this point in the season, now that the title has been won and with City in two more finals in the next two weekends, we'd like to take a moment to remember the times where we were perhaps panicking a little bit too much over nothing. It's time for the bad take amnesty. No previous opinion is too silly or too stupid, but equally it's all done in the knowledge that things turned out all right this season again. I was joined by Chris Higginbottom and first Dom Farrell to discuss some terrible hot takes throughout this tour. I've been rifling through some of the stuff I've written this year and there was definitely one about Raheem Sterling making Chelsea strong stronger and City weaker, but um, we'll probably move on to that particular topic. But um, kind of keen to, keen to hear your kick us off, David. Yeah, I thought this might be the case. Uh, but, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll read my tweet uh, from, this was from the 14th of January, directly after City had just lost the derby at Old Trafford. Uh, and I just, I tweeted a thread that started with, made my peace with the season today. I think at the halfway point, City don't have the consistency to keep up with Arsenal. And even if they were to take six points off them, they'll drop more points elsewhere. I'm kind of all right with it if it's Arsenal top and City second. It doesn't feel like City will win 10 to 15 on the spin. <sighs> good to be wrong, isn't it? It's incredibly good to be wrong. But I mean, how wrong is that? I mean, I, I remember getting like several emojis in reply from people you know that emoji that's just got one eyebrow lifted the Carlo Ancelotti uh, yeah um, so I, I, <laughs> I got I got a few people just kind of sending that as if I was the one that was barking mad but honestly Dom tell me I'm, I'm like that it's a fair it was a fair comment at the time wasn't it surely oh yeah it totally was I mean I, I remember saying on 
saying to someone at the time that the thing about those big long winning runs is they have to start after a game you've not won by by their by the very necessity of how you measure them. And so you never look like you're going to go on one of those runs until they actually happen. But yeah, I think so before the big run that won the league, hadn't City only won three in succession all season? So yeah, it was fair enough. And like I say, there's there is a little bit of rewriting history at the moment, isn't there? Of like that, oh, it's inevitable. City were always going to do that. It's like, well, not really. Not not if you were watching him in January, it wasn't inevitable. But yeah, I, I I think you can argue with nothing that you said in that tweet at the time. But right now, it is obviously hilarious. It looks like a terrible take, doesn't it, Chris? Are you like after that Manchester derby? Did you did you at any point throw in the towel on this season? Or are you going to tell me now that you were uh, that you were perfectly, you know, behind the lads all the way? Well, I mean, taking the Manchester derby, I was about to throw the towel in with football, considering the mid-game rule change that was implemented. I mean, <laughs> what the hell was all that about? That's, the only way they could have beat us is by reinventing the offside rule, and they pulled it off. I mean, yeah, I was absolutely resigned to not winning the league. Um, I'd, you know, I was ready. I was formulating... Uh, Congratulation, you know, gritted teeth, uh, congratulatory speeches to Arsenal fans and completely, completely written it off. I mean, it's ridiculous to say when people say it was inevitable when City winning league, even when we have been winning it, it's been by the skin of our teeth. So to win it with three games to spare was just absolute lunacy. I can't understand quite how it's happened. I don't think Arsenal can either, to be honest. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's move away from from my embarrassment, um, and uh, I'll chuck in this from uh, LFGM on Twitter, who again after the Manchester derby uh, said City didn't deserve anything from that unless they win the FA Cup. This is going to be Pep's worst season at City. Major changes are needed. The squad needs to be revamped. Um, again, after that derby, that was that was what uh, what they were thinking, Chris. And here we are, like as we record this, City have the chance of achieving the treble. Oh, we're going to go there. Yeah, we're going. We're going to mention it. We're going. We're treading into Jinxville with our heads held high, are we? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't like to these one-off games. Uh, they say anything can happen in a derby. Form goes out the window, and a cup final. It's a one-off game. I am cacking it, if I'm honest, and it makes it worse that there's so much bravado doing the rounds. Everyone's like, "Oh, we're gonna—it's gonna be a cakewalk. We're gonna mull United. We're gonna steamroller into Milan." I just—I'll be very, very, very surprised if we uh, do the the T word. Okay. Um, having said that, I did. I this say is that about the league. Yeah, this is a bad take amnesty. Uh, I don't know if you can make a take on a bad take amnesty and then it be part <laughs> of the amnesty. Does that count? I don't know. It's like bad takes, like squared, isn't it? Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm ladling through it the fourth wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, any any other bad takes from you two before we get uh, some from the audience? Chris, have you have you said anything throughout the season where you thought where you look back now and think why did I say that? A couple of things, yeah. Um, I mean, well, loads, but if we're just keeping it to football, <laughs> I mean, Akanji, I was <clears throat> calling him Akanji at one point. I said he was built like a porter cabin or the turning circle of the QE2. Wasn't good enough. <clears throat> um, we're never going to win anything with him in the team. Uh, I, I was basically saying to people, you wait, you wait. He's going to make an absolutely crucial mistake that will cost us the league and... He has been 
basically since I started slagging him off, I'm not trying to take the credit, but uh, just to amplify how much of a bad take it was, as soon as I started saying it, it's just been absolutely superb. I don't think he's put a foot wrong. He seems to go more confident. He seems to go more pacey and athletic and deft with each game. It's absolutely phenomenal. His pro, well, he's the way he's just cemented that place in the team and the, the progress he's made. Like, what an absolute hero! Yeah. Um, he's no Otamendi, is he? Well, <laughs> thankfully, no. <laughs> as much as I've got a lot of admiration for Otamendi, he was a bit of a a bit of a liability at times. But I can't, yeah, he's been nothing but dependable and strong. And every time he goes up against an opponent that. You think bloody hell, he's going to be in trouble here. He just pockets him. Yeah, it's been yeah. Can you imagine really... anyone more temperamentally different to a Kanji you know, than Otamendi? It's like I, I can't imagine Otamendi sitting down and working on the old long division and stuff. Can you? It's like yeah, they're, <laughs> no. they're different breeds then too. Is long division a skill that a Kanji has, or is it just multiplication? Can he do it? Can he do that's it backwards? Well, yeah, actually, yeah. That, that, well, yeah. Let's get some pre. Let's get some. Uh, some pre-Champions League final questions in for the lads, I reckon, no. Um Yeah, but, but like, if he is a porter cabin, like Chris said, he, he could calculate the internal cubic volume of himself just like that. No time, wouldn't he? Yeah. Not many... Otamendi would slide tackle a porter cabin and absolutely ruin it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give away a penalty in the process. Dom, uh, you mentioned the Sterling take. Um, I mean, uh, he... he Possibly did make Chelsea stronger, but there was an absolute shit show going on around him. Is that is that a possibility? Do you know what? Because unfortunately, I, I unfortunately I, I have to delve out of the world of Burt for work, and Sterling isn't even my worst Chelsea take. Although this one is a bit of a caveat. I said that Bamian was a really good signing, but that was because he was perfect with Thomas Tuchel, and then ended sack Tuchel a, a week later. So that's a terrible take. But I think half the blame is on Todd Bowley for that one. Yeah. Um, I think I was looking back through some... It's always great to do look back at things you've written through the season that are like, well, bollocks. But uh, there is a city flavour to this that it's probably in our sort of DNA to overestimate Tottenham. You know, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so at the start of the season, when they started pretty well, and I think Kulosevsky had had some great games against City uh, the year before... Um, and the whole Liverpool front three had ended because Mane had left and I did a piece on how Kulosevsky, Son and Kane were going to be the new it front three in the Premier League <laughs> they were the best front three in the league So and, and to sort of bring it full circle handily after I was covering Leeds against Tottenham at the weekend on the last, last day of the Premier League season and Kulosevsky came to do some mix zone and I've got his stats here after he played 30 games this season in the Premier League and scored twice so there he was I was speaking to the man I'd said was a uh, Going to be one of the best forwards in the league. Excellent. Got two goals in thirty. So that that would I think that's my piping hottest, um, spursiest take going. Excellent. Well, we uh, we asked the audience for uh, some of their hot takes throughout the season. We'll run through some of them now. Um, I mean, let's start with Andy, who uh, didn't give us one of his own, but he absolutely threw Nadem Anua under the bus because uh, he said uh, at the start <laughs> of the season, Nadem picked Liverpool to win the league with Spurs finishing third. And I, I I sat there and thought, could we do this on, on this bit of the podcast? I thought, yeah, yeah, we can. But we've got to give the man a right of reply, haven't we? So uh, I asked Naden what he thought about that take. Uh, and this is what he said. Right. So firstly, a big shout out to Andy for uh, being drawn in by that bit of media bait that the BBC did. OK, so a few things. Yes, I did predict that Liverpool would be first and that Spurs would be third. But just think about this for a second, yeah. 
how would it seem if me, the former Man City guy, said City are going to win the league, they're going to win the FA Cup, win the Carabao Cup, win the Champions League. People are like, well, of course you'd say that because you're associated with Man City. So what I do for content is put certain things out that might make sense. And if they don't work out and say City win the league, well, I guess I win either way. So do not get too drawn in by that, my friend. And it's also nice every so often to just dangle a carrot out because when these predictions come out, You've got very, very, very active fan bases waiting to tell you how stupid you are for your prediction. And let's be clear, if I was good at predicting things, I think I'd rather be good at predicting the lottery because then you wouldn't find me doing football predictions for much longer. How about that? That is true, isn't it, Dom? There's no, like, there's just no value in football predictions. Yeah, Manuel Akanji will tell you it's statistically harder to predict the lottery, though. So Yeah, fair play. Fair point. <laughs> Um, let's let's rattle through a few others. Uh, Andy says, I was adamant that Cancelo would stay and Walker would leave this season. Um, Chris, I don't think any of us saw Cancelo leaving in uh, in January, but uh, but maybe 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 Walker out hasn't hasn't been that far away. He's not been not been that in the team recently. I think that's really good man management by Pep. Um, he publicly slated him a bit. He's left him out in a part of the season where evidently. He could afford to, and he's brought him in at the the tasty end where he's coming with a real point to prove. He's had a bit of a rest, so he's you know firing on all cylinders, and he's been absolutely amazing. He's playing as as well as he's ever played, I would say. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think he was close to leaving, but he'd been left out and. The results of that have been have been reaped by Walker and the rest of the team. As for Cancelo, he's got two, he's two got two rings. winners' medals this year this season. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think anyone on either team wants him to have either of them. Uh, it seems like a <laughs> bit of a knob, but uh, he's he's doing all right for himself. How are we we're going to have to sell him, aren't we? Who, who are we selling him to? I don't know. I mean, as tip. Boogley or whatever he's called at Chelsea, has he like got any spare cash? Hasn't he got to sell like thirty players by the end of June? Yeah, that won't stop Otherwise, him bringing some more like, in. Oh yeah, go and buy a baseball club and walk into the sunset with his stats and held high. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Rob Wilson, Dom said, uh, I thought Alvarez was going to be a, a CFG signing. Um, and that, I mean, in fairness, there was talk at the start of the season, wasn't there, that um, that City were assessing where he'd be. Uh, I don't think any of us really expected him to then finish the season with a World Cup winner's medal, having played a key part in Argentina's team and having scored some of the crucial best goals that City have scored this season. Yeah, it, when, when City make those sort of signings, it's it's where on the Gabriel Jesus, Marlos Moreno spectrum are you? And um, I think, obviously, Dion Alvarez is an incredible talent. He's right off way beyond the Jesus end of it. Yeah, he's been brilliant. I mean, like when... So I was still working at the MEM in January when like the deal was sorted out and we did loads of like sort of just digging around like everyone looked good on goal montages but looking at all like the the really really Argentinian forward goals it scored for River Plate and like I remember like being excited by that but then I remembered when I was years before I was really excited by the Georgia Samrash YouTube uh, compilation thankfully Alvarez is more closer to real life and yeah he's been amazing 
Yeah, we, we were all stung by that, weren't we? Um, another one for you, Dom. Uh, John Hay says, I thought getting rid of Sterling and Jesus was a mistake and Alvarez wouldn't contribute bar a couple of cup goals. Our second highest scorer with a World Cup in the bag, starting with Messi and an Abby Hay Ultra. Apologies, I got it massively wrong. Uh, so we've covered Alvarez. Uh, Sterling and Jesus leaving. That was, uh, I, I must admit, that worried me at the start of the season. Yeah, but I think it was also the right time for both of them, wasn't it, really? And I think, I mean, this is harsh because I like Gabriel Jesus, but I think, and he did an awful lot for City and he's a player with plenty of, like, big attributes for to, to enhance any team he's in. But I think when you look at his goals return or lack of it in the running, um, he kind of has always had that in his locker as well, hasn't he? And it does it, it, say... It, when some people have said the thing of like, you know, Sterling, Jesus out and Haaland and Alvarez in. Obviously, it wasn't a straight swap. And it can be a bit disingenuous to talk about it like that. But at the same time, it looks like City have got the best end of that equation, doesn't it? Yeah. Was there at any point, Chris, you felt in the season that uh, it was going to come back to bite City? That Jay- I mean, Jesus and Zinchenko was the other one where people were saying, you know, we've, we've strengthened Arsenal too much here. 100%. Yeah, that's exactly... What I thought early doors, um, naive idiot that I am. Um, I mean, you look at the contribution Zinchenko made to us. I don't think Gundogan was winning us the league without that little bit of work from Zinchenko. And didn't didn't he set Rodri up as well for that um, twenty yard side foot daisy cutter? Yeah, he did. Yeah, really, really valuable player for us. He's he's been. Great, but again, you know, you can't. In terms of the right time to look, to leave for Jesus, it was the right time for Zinchenko to leave from his point of view because he wasn't starting every game. He knew he was probably going to continue in much the same vein, i.e., not an automatic choice. Wants to go somewhere where he would be, and he was, and they were doing really well. And I think the point at which I thought, yeah, maybe he's not quite got the mentality that I maybe even thought he had when he was doing. Um, Arsenal conceded a goal and he was doing a little on-the-pitch team talk and it just didn't really look all that convincing. And Yeah, compensating much. Was, yeah, the players he was kind of trying to motivate who were towering over him, kind of looking disinterestedly into the the middle distance and I was like, oh yeah, he's, they don't really seem to be respecting him. It's not going to work, this is it. And yeah, we've, uh, we've pulled away and... All the decisions seem to have favoured us. It's just ridiculous how it's happened. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. This is from a Twitter user called Say What You See, uh, and it was at 2-0 at half-time in the Spurs home game. Uh, they said, uh, Pepe's trying to change the gearbox while we're still on the motorway. And sadly, this is the result. If he continues, I think this season is a write-off. Will he make big changes at half-time? I'm not sure. And then uh, they replied to that tweet at full-time with just the phrase, I'll get my coat. Chris, that's a nice little <laughs> fast show reference there. Yeah, I love a bit of fast show. Um, he does that though, doesn't he, Pep? He, he's not afraid to to tinker mid-season. He's normally afraid to make big changes in a game, but if you 2-0 down at half-time to Spurs, then that's the time to do it, really. I think, uh, when are we going to stop questioning uh, Ed and his genius? He just seems to make the calls correctly yeah. all the time, and here we are questioning him like like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Um, seems to. 
Sandy Rush on Twitter said, uh, in October 2022, uh, Cancelo had turned a corner in his defensive play and he was spending the rest of his career at City. Obviously, that didn't go to plan. Uh, he also said, uh, John Stones at right back was an abomination and Grealish was never going to fit in at City. Um, Dom, two two cornerstones of City's season, certainly in the latter half, has been uh, Grealish's form and John Stones at right back. That's a belt, isn't it? I mean, there's... A... <laughs> I mean, I can... I don't. I don't think Cancelo will ever turn a corner defensive play. He's just away with the fairies any half the time. Um, yes, yeah, Stones. Sort of the mad thing about Stones in midfield, right back, centre back, all the positions he's playing all at once at the moment is he has you know, to sort of cut Sandy some slack there. Stones is definitely played in those positions in previous seasons, and it has looked clunky and horrible. Um, and yet, yeah, as regards Grealish, I mean. I guess it was how long people wanted to keep the faith in him because a lot of people going, oh, the second season, second season with Pep. And then he started this season a bit slowly, but obviously since the World Cup, he's been, he's been another level. He's been, you know, the most consistent attacking creative player probably. Obviously guys like De Bruyne are bigger moments and things, but I think from January onwards, you've just not been able to fault him. You know what you're going to get every time. And like, I think if you'd said to people 12 months ago, City are going to be in a Champions League final and Jack Grealish is a guaranteed starter if fit. I don't think many people would have believed that. And I think that says everything you need to know about everything he's done this year. Maybe they should have got him that Home Alone tour a bit earlier. Maybe that was the uh, the thing that he needed to do just before Christmas to uh, to spark his form off. Man, yeah, that, that was the catalyst, wasn't it? Yeah, the... Um... Home Alone 2 is amazing. I think Home Alone 2 is maybe even controversially better than the first one, so fair play to Jack for doing his pilgrimage. Yeah, bad take amnesty. <laughs> uh, I, again, not the place for takes like that. I'm not sure we can uh, we can allow it. Um, <laughs> Darren on Twitter said, uh, agreed with you, Chris. Uh, Akanji wasn't good enough for us. Uh, bad contract dog also said, uh, I was very critical of Akanji earlier in the season, especially after Brighton, Liverpool and Brentford. Thought he was awful in those games, mostly due to a lack of effort, which to me is unforgivable. But I've got to give him props. He's been great in the second half of the season. So again, Chris, that just speaks to exactly what you were saying about Akanji. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it did look clunky, chunky, and um, I'm not going to... I can't remember asking him a third I rhyme. There I can't think of anything that. that rhymes with it. And not very hunky? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm struggling as well. Potentially flunky. <laughs> anyway, it didn't look that good, did he? Now he does. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that works. But going back to John Stones, he just looks like the most... Sublime football I've ever seen at the moment. It's it must be rubbing off on a Kanji. We can credit maybe Stones with that as well. Just give all the credit to John Stones. He's in every song we sing. He's in every position we play, and he needs to be starting every game. Yeah. Uh, let's take this from uh, Brian, who said uh, City made a mistake not selling Ake to Chelsea in the summer. Dom. Well, um, I mean, I, I can see why. People thought Aki was like the guy that was, that was good scoring. I, 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 sort of a parallel bad take out of myself at the, the start of the season. I thought that like you had Laporte and Stones and Diaz were clearly the top three centre backs, and Aki was like a distant fourth. He would never get into that. But again, he's if he's fit, he plays. He's been fantastic. So yeah, I, I think it's kind of with all these things, and maybe, maybe this is going to result in more your know, bad take. I'm this will get more boring as the Pep era goes on and on. Is You've kind of just got you. Know, you've got to trust that he signed good players who will eventually know what to do, and it all works out fine. And you know, yeah, maybe that's boring, but yeah, 
I stop having takes, then we can't. Then we don't need an amnesty. Yeah. I mean, indisputably, for about you know, pretty much for the whole second half of the season, Ake has been picked ahead of Emir at the port, and no one's had a problem with it. I mean, could you have imagined that a year ago? It's yeah. He's, I I don't think it was necessarily so sad to see him go. It is, but it's it, it's been an incredible turnaround for Ake. But again, it's it's testament to Guardiola and how he develops players. And if you buy, if you're a player and you buy into what Pep wants to do, then sky's the limit, really. Yeah, this is it. How much of these bad takes are just Pep recognizing what is going wrong? So at the time, it's a good take, it's an accurate take, and Pep's just. Fixed it. Turning round. Yeah, he's just he's just fixing stuff. He's just getting hold of these players, identifying the errors, or he is looking at things where maybe he's not identified what's going to happen in games that have exposed players and he's shoring up those you know, plugging those holes in the in the system where well if if I leave Aki in this position to receive the ball here and this place here and this place here, then this will happen, it'll get overrun. So I will now never allow, allow that to happen and just takes the team, drills the a revised sort of shape into them in training. And that's why we're looking at players going, wow, this guy's improved 80% in the last four games. How is that possible? It's just Pep, isn't it? I think yeah. it's just, he's just a genius. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe the bad takes are actually directly responsible for it because we know Pep's on Twitter all the time. So he's probably read most of these anyway. Yeah, that's true. There, so, there we are. Actually, we'll, we'll take the credit for them. So well it's done, down everyone. to us. Yeah, well done, yeah. everyone. They're, they're catalysts. They're not bad takes. Yeah, exactly that. I'm going to finish Absolutely. with this one uh, from my mate Kev, who is uh, a Wolves fan, uh, who saw the tweet, saw me post it and said, uh, not betting on this will haunt me forever. Uh, and then there was a screenshot of um, a bet that said, Erling Haaland to score more Premier League goals than Wolves, 14 to 1. Haaland finished on 36. Wolves finished on 31. Yeah, he's had a howler there. <laughs> Get Kev on for some uh, some uh, bets next season because uh, it'd be as bad as I am at predicting outcomes and stuff. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Chris Higginbottom and Dom Farrell chatting through some of the worst takes around City this season. Um, I, I'm not letting you two get away with this. Joe, have you got anything that, uh, that you'd like to, to, to bring to the amnesty? Uh, oh God, I've got, I've got four. I couldn't, I couldn't pick between which one was... Um, I, I, so I'll quickly go through them all. There's one of them I retweeted a Zinchenko interview saying genuinely one of the biggest mistakes of the Pep era to sell this guy. And needless to say, I think his emotional instability has probably been has probably sort of epitomized Arsenal's downfall since then. Um, the other one was another one was um, when we went one 0 down against Liverpool at Anfield, saying we're just so shit when we play against this lot. We can do whatever we want going the other way, but there's always a stupid goal to give up. I'm not sure how wrong that is actually, but we did oh, win I think that's on, end, yeah, so yeah. it turned out all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other one, another Liverpool-related one, was at Anfield earlier this season. After the team news announced, I said, if Liverpool beat this team, then you've just got to hold your hands up and say that our team is full of spineless cowards who bottled it and we lost 1-0. Um, <laughs> and then and then in the during the Brentford game, after uh, Laporte was 
what can only be described as giving a wrestling move in the penalty area and no penalty was given. Um, I said, never thought I'd say this, but can we have Mike Dean back, which might be the worst of the four. So, um, yeah, I've done a lot of terrible takes. There's probably there's probably hundreds more, but yeah, I couldn't, I, could, I, I didn't want to have too much to feel bad about. Yeah. Jordan, anything you'd like to get off your chest from this season? I quite enjoy my bad takes, to be honest, because <laughs> usually they're criticising City players. So when they're wrong, it's, it's sort of a win-win. Like, you know, great. <laughs> the majority of my bad takes have been around the defensive situation because I, I distinctly remember myself describing Ruben Diaz as our fifth-choice centre-back um, early on in the season, which has been shown to be absolute rubbish. Pretty much because <laughs> we've only got one fifth-choice centre-back and four, four, four first-choice centre-backs. Um, sorry, Laporte, <laughs> but it seems like you've uh, you've been benched, son. So, yep. And then just around that as well, I remember saying Akanji's not up to it physically. We bought a reserve player and we're starting him every week. It's a load of rubbish, obviously. Um, yeah, that, 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 I think I've been pretty conservative with my bad takes this season. So... Yeah. Oh, oh, actually, I've got a fantastic one. Here's one for you. I did a podcast just before the Real Madrid second leg and I said, I don't want to see Bernardo start because he showed that he didn't offer enough going forward in the first leg. So that was a good one. Two goals later. Um, but again, delighted. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, let's finish with some uh, audience questions. Get them in for next week ahead of the Champions League final on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can also email as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, we start with Dan, who says, uh, what do you think of the possibility of signing Matteo Kovacic? It looks pretty nailed on. Could that mean that Gundogan isn't going to extend his deal? Uh, Jordan, what do you think to that? I actually don't think it's it's much to do with Gundogan. I think we are short in central midfield and we've been pretty lucky with injuries this season in that... While De Bruyne has had a few knocks, um, Gundogan and Bernardo and Rodri have all been pretty available for the whole season. And mm. the lack of trust in Calvin Phillips it, it has put a lot of stress on them. So I think we need at least at least one, probably two, even before considering outgoings, especially with Gundogan and De Bruyne both being 32. We've got to plan for the future. Yeah, Kovacic is... Uh, is 29, but I think just the depth of, of having a player like that, pro- we'll probably get them on the cheap as well. I can't see him costing more than 30 million despite the reports. Chelsea needs to sell players this summer. And he's on his list speaks for itself. I, I tweeted it as well. He's won La Liga, Supercopa de España, three Champions Leagues, two UEFA Super Cups, two Club World Cups, um, then Chelsea, another Champions League. Unfortunately, let's not talk about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Europa League, UEFA Super Cup again, another Club World Cup, FA Cup runner-up and DFL Cup runner-up in two separate years, and runner-up at the World Cup um, in 2018 and third place in 2022. Like, it's how can you turn down someone who's not even 30 years old with that sort of pedigree? So I'm yeah. pretty pretty pleased with the signing. I think he's a really good player. He can play across the midfield. I've seen it pointed out that he doesn't really contribute many goals, but Gundogan didn't really contribute many goals when he was at Dortmund, um, apart from penalties. And that one turned out all right. And also, people question his injury record. We have got a brilliant habit at the moment of turning people who were described as Crocs into fitness freaks. I mean, Grealish and Haaland had terrible injury problems, really, before joining City. Uh, Grealish's shins were a massive issue. I've not heard of that being a thing 
since and yeah we all heard about Haaland's injury concerns so faith in the medical department and I, I just think it's a really solid signing that shouldn't really impact any moves for the likes of someone like McAllister for example so no brainer yeah. for me there's there's another yeah. element to this as well isn't the Joe that um like generally City get transfers right so if they're in for somebody then there's a then they see a they see a gap that they can fill yeah, absolutely. And I think that in, in midfield in particular, we tend to have a really good track record. That obviously, you know, the Calvin Phillips situation this this season has kind of has, has been what it is. There's been a lot of he's had a pretty unfortunate injury, came back from the World Cup, not in the best shape. And obviously when you get into the crunch point of the season, you need players you can absolutely one hundred percent trust. And I think because of that lack of game time, he maybe didn't get it. But next season we could be looking at Calvin Phillips going, Oh, it's another one who, you know, we got right and it could be it, it could be just like that. And <clears throat> yeah, I think with Kovacic, there's always the fact as well that even if you're not fully convinced by how he's been at Chelsea, which you know a lot of fans haven't been really that convinced by, and maybe there's some understandability in that. I mean, I personally think he's he's a really good player, and I'm quite happy to get him if it means that we're getting him with one year left on his deal at Chelsea, and therefore not paying a ridiculous amount of money. I just think that ultimately Pep improves players. Like even if he, he came into what was it, how old was Fernandinho when he joined? Was he was he 29 as well when Pep came in? And look at the play that. Fernandinho was when he left at the end of his deal like the fact that he's 29 isn't going to stop Guardiola from making him a much better player than he was before he got hold of him so um yeah I I've, I've just got no issues with it whatsoever I don't think it's really as like Jordan said I don't think it's really necessarily related to Gundogan I think it's a nice player to have ready and waiting if Gundogan does decide that this isn't that mm. this is the end of his city career um but as he says, we, we need depth anyway. Like if one if one of the three had got a serious long term injury, we would be relying on two midfielders for the rest of the season, pretty much. Plus, obviously, you know, moving one of Phil or or maybe Grealish or even Cole Palmer into the number eight. But that's you know at that point, apart from Foden, you're really looking at just sort of moving players out of preferred positions into to fill that. So yeah, we need centre mids. He's a very good centre mid, um, and you know, as Jordan's pointed out, that that. That CV speaks for itself, doesn't it? The guy knows what he's doing, particularly in Europe, and you can't say no to players like that. Yeah. Um, final question then. Jason on Twitter says, there's been talk of a Poznan before the final on Saturday. I wasn't lucky enough to be at the semi-final in 2011, but have seen the images on TV afterwards. How effective do you think that was in creating a sense of occasion for City on the day? Um, no, I wasn't at the 2011 semi-final either. Uh, Joe, I think you said you weren't there either. Um, Jordan, yeah, no. were there? I was there, yeah. I was I was fifteen, so uh, it was a while ago. But I, I think that was the season in which the, the Poznan really got its sort of breakout year, was it? Or maybe the season a- season after? Um, or oh, sorry, that was the season after. But yeah, it, it it was brilliant, and you know, there's still the sense of excitement when you get to stand up and turn around and not watch the game, um, jumping up and down. It it, it was good. Personally, when I'm involved in the Poznan, I'm always worried that I'll miss something. But yeah, it's good. It look it looks good visually, but I, I think it's uh, I don't think it, the players take too much notice. One thing I do remember from that day after the game, though, is that when we were celebrating, all the players in front of us got in a line and turned around and did the Poznan, which was pretty cool to see. I wouldn't mind seeing Haaland and Grealish and all them lot do it after we beat United. Yeah, Harlan's got form for joining in on things like that as well, so he's, uh, I'm sure he'd be right up for that. Um, hmm, yeah. Joe, I think I think the City fans, uh, I, I think that time uh, they decided to do it ahead of the game while the hmm. stadium announcer was reading out the United team. 
as a kind of a, a way to whip up the, the the city players and city fans. I, I mean, yeah. Does that does that need to happen this time? Was it a fact that City were still underdogs at that point? That was that was part of that. You think? Yeah, th- there was probably definitely more of that in in 2011 because obviously we went into that that game very much not the favourites, um, and it definitely did sort of help create that. You know, you, at that point you need everything you can get from from the. I mean, obviously every team needs to have the crowd on side and particularly loud anyway, particularly in, in, in big games. But I think in in a game like 2011 where we you know we 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 were not the team that was expected to win it. That matters. That matters a lot. And I think, to be honest, if it, if it happened again on Saturday, I'd I'd be loving it. I think it's great to just sort of. It must it must have some impact on the United players as well. Having you know, while while the point where normally you hear your crowd sort of get a bit into it as the team names read out, all you can hear is the opposition fans doing doing whatever. Um, I think that must have some kind of, even if it's a small psychological impact, it's got to have one. But I'm personally more of a fan of the Poznan coming out. When you know when the game's underway and we're, we're we've taken a lead or something like it came out at, um, at Madrid and a couple of games around that as well, I'm personally more of a fan of that. But you know, if it comes out before kickoff, I'm certainly not going to be. Uh, I'm certainly not going to be complaining. It was it was worth remembering as well that we basically scored our only chance that game that came from nothing, and Berbatov missed an absolute sitter from like three yards yeah. uh, in front of our end after about. 20 minutes so i'm not sure whether it had too much of an effect on them i think we just uh we seized the moment but yeah it's, it's always nice to see isn't it i think i think you're right joe i think it could have a bit of an effect on uh on the players yeah well uh let's let's have that again this weekend then everyone uh that's the end of this week's blue moon podcast thank you very much for listening and thanks also to my guests for this one jordan elgott cheers and joe butterfield cheers thank you very much We've got a clip of this week's Patreon show coming up shortly. It's the final one of the season. Patreon backers won't be charged for June and July, so now's the ideal time to sign up and get a taste of what bonus episodes we do. We're going to spend the next couple of months recording some more for next season, so uh, stay tuned for that. Don't forget to get your tickets for the live podcast on June the 14th at Idle Hands in Manchester. Details for that, again, are on our Twitter feed, at Blue Moon Podcast. I'll be back next week to preview the Champions League final and to review whatever happens this weekend. See you on the other side. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. I don't remember any of the emotions other than when Mark Kennedy scored. And even to this day, I challenge anybody to find a goal that has commentary better than Rob Hawthorne's. Dick off here looking to secure the win, and Kennedy probably has done. And mm. the soundtrack to that goal, with everything that it means, honestly, it makes me cry. It's still like <laughs> still to this day, I am 35 years old. It makes me cry because of just what what that goal meant to me. The realization that City needed a point and they'd gone 3-1 up, they were gonna win the game. Mm. That, 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 that was it. They were they, they were safe, they they were done, and there was still about 20 minutes left. Like that explosion of of just pure raw joy is is something that even experiencing it when Aguero scored, when Gundogan scored um, for the second time against against Villa, when when Torre scored against Stoke, those moments 
I'm not even sure that they come close to the mo- to what I felt for when Kennedy scored against Blackburn yeah. that day. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>